Thank you for coming out this morning. We're in Luke chapter 12, beginning in verse 22. And what we're talking about here is uh, anxiousness and worry. I don't know if you have any reasons why you might be anxious or worried. Probably not. Uh, here in uh, the beginning of 2021, there's been a lot of jokes about that. Um, this is probably not a great time to joke because there's some pretty serious things that have happened. I just want to warn you at the, at the very top of the sermon here, I'm probably not going to agree with your political viewpoint. So I, uh, I just want you to know that. So whether you're left or you're right, just prepare to be offended. Uh, that, would be, that would be the best thing. So thank you, <laughs> sir or ma'am, whoever you are. Uh, Jesus offends both sides, and we will offend both sides through Jesus. Uh, we don't want to offend um, needlessly, but we want to offend with Jesus. So I, uh, I say that at the outset. I don't have any prepared remarks about what's, what's happened in, uh, uh, at the Capitol, um, and, uh, but we'll just see what the Lord does here uh, this morning. Jesus has been traveling around, and he's been teaching. And there's thousands of people that are clamoring to see him. They're trampling each other. And a guy yells out and says, hey, Jesus, not one of his disciples, says, hey, Jesus, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. So Jesus begins to speak to people who have an inheritance to divide. That is, people who grew up in wealthy families. He then turns to his disciples at the beginning of this passage, and if you look at it, he's, it says, and he said to his disciples. So a guy speaks to him, so he talks to the crowd, and then he turns and he begins to speak back kind of directly to his disciples. Now, why does he do that? He does that because his disciples are sitting there and they're kind of like, hey, I have no context for this. I don't have wealth to divide with my brother. I don't have anything like that. I'm kind of a blue-collar person. My career hasn't been started yet, or uh, what fill in the blank, whatever it is. And so Jesus begins to speak to them about wealth. And basically what he's gonna say is that wealth is a problem, both for the rich, but it's also a problem for the poor. It's a problem for the rich, but it's also a problem for the poor. For the rich, who tend at times to deal with greed, uh, greed can never get enough. However, for the poor, for those, or for those who are working class people, they deal with worry, and worry is afraid that it may not have enough. That's from William Arndt. So greed says, I can never get enough. Worry says, I'm afraid I may not have enough. So part of what Jesus is doing here, again, is that Jesus is offending both sides. Jesus is offending those who have wealth, but Jesus is also gonna offend those who do not have wealth. And how does he offend? Well, he says, I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat, nor about, what, uh, nor about your body, what you will put on. Jesus is saying, I don't want you to worry. You should not be worried about life in general, about what you're gonna eat, what you're gonna drink, what you're gonna put on. Don't live in anxiousness. Don't live in anxiety. Don't do that. And it re reminds me a little bit of a, uh, 
a skit that Bob Newhart did, if you even know who he is. Many of you are too young probably to know, but he, he, he had this skit, I think it was on Comedy Central, uh, where this, he's a counselor and this gal comes in to be counseled and uh, uh, she sits down and he kind of explains to her that his counseling method is a little bit unconventional. It normally only lasts about five minutes. And he says, so go ahead and tell me what your problem is. And she says, I have this great fear that I'm gonna be buried in a box alive. And he says, well, has anybody told you that they're gonna bury you in a box alive? No, it, like, has that ever happened to you? No. Uh, and she's, well, it's just generally I'm, I'm claustrophobic. And he says, okay, well, so I just have two words for you that are gonna fix your problem. Just, just get ready for these two words. She says, okay. And he just immediately says, stop it. Just stop it. And she, what, what, what do you mean? He says, stop it. Just stop. Stop doing that. Stop thinking those things. Just stop it. And there's a little bit of this that, that I, I kind of feel like when Jesus is, is talking is that there's this sense in which it's almost like Jesus is saying, yeah, don't do that. Don't do that. And I kind of want to say back to Jesus, Okay, what, what, what's the next thing? Jesus says, don't do that. Don't worry about these things. Don't worry about, about, uh, about your life, what you're gonna eat, nor about your body, what you're gonna put on. And he begins to explain a little bit why. Why you shouldn't worry about these things. He says, verse 23, for life is more than food and the body is more than clo- clothing. Life is about more than those things. However, what Jesus is pointing out here is that most of us have believed the lie that life is all about those things. Life is all about what I eat, what I drink, what I wear, about life in general. Life is all about how this is going, and I must be wrapped up in it. Now think for a moment here about the level of anxiousness that is in our society today. It's not just out there, it's in here. It's inside of our church buildings. It's in us, the church, literally us people. This anxiousness is pervasive. It's everywhere. It's, it's, it's a part of who we are. Many of us deal with anxiety. I deal with anxiety. It's, it's, it's coming to the point where it's like everybody has some level of anxiety in their, in their life. And to a degree, we've given ourselves permission because we have said, well, it must be some kind of medical issue. Now, let me be careful before I really offend somebody here and just say this, that there are people that have biological concerns with that, but not everybody has biological concerns in that regard. And before you, and even if you do have biological concerns along those lines, that does not give you a free pass. Jesus says, don't be anxious. And so, while something for you may be medication, maybe that's what you need right now. Maybe that's a good gift from God. In fact, I do believe medication is a good gift from God for you, perhaps. But what Jesus is speaking to us is he's saying, that we should not live in a level of worry and anxiety about the basic needs of our life. And I would extend that to everything in life. We should not live in anxiety and worry in our life. But if I were to just say to you, stop it, that's not gonna be super helpful. So Jesus gives us some helps. And the first help that he gives us is he gives us a help from nature. He says this, consider the ravens. The next verse he says, 
Look at time, verse 24. Then he says, look at the, the lilies. Consider the lilies. And then he talks about the grass. So Jesus begins to say, I want you to open your eyes and I want you to see what life is really like. I want you to look at life. Now notice what Jesus is not saying. Jesus did not say, go do a Bible study. And not that you shouldn't do a Bible study, but that's not what Jesus is saying right here. Jesus is saying, what can help you today is apparent in every facet of life. What can help you today is if you just look at the created world, you will see the creator. If you look at the created world, you'll see the God of the universe. You'll understand who he is. And so he says, I want you to consider the ravens. Look at these birds. Look at these birds that nobody has any regard for, first of all, because they're birds, second of all, because they're ravens. But I want you to look at these birds, and he says, they neither sow nor reap, they have neither storehouses nor barn, and yet God feeds them. Of how much more value are you than the birds? Jesus says that these birds, while they're, they still have to work in a sense, they still have to go look for their worms, they still have to go look for their food, the thing about them is that they're not sitting there worrying and fretting about life. They're not worrying and fretting about what's going to happen because God, in his care, is taking care of them. And they reside in that care. They reside in that faith. They can do nothing else. Jesus says, I want you to consider these created creatures, and I want you to see who God is in and through these creatures. You have these birds that have very little value. They have very little purpose. And yet I feed them. How much more am I gonna feed you? Jesus is speaking to his disciples here. And he says, of how much more value are you than the birds? See, at the root of our worry, at the root of our anxiousness, at the root of our insecurity, at the root of all of that is a belief in this, that I am not valuable to God. I am not valuable to the creator of the universe. And it's essentially saying or telling a lie about God. When I worry, when I'm anxious, about my basic needs and, and about life, it's saying this. It's saying, God, I do not believe that you have given me any value. I do not believe that what you say about me is true. And ultimately, what we find out is this, is that worry and anxiousness come from this. They come from the idea that I must find value on my own. I just want you to think about that for a second. And you're freaking out? It's basically saying, I must create my own value. I have to show that I am valuable by what I bring home, by what I wear, by my life, 
and I don't believe that I have value outside of what I can provide. It's ultimately saying I'm in charge. Look at the next verse, which seems kind of like, oh, kind of like an excursion, but it's still about the created world. And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? If then you are not able to do as small a thing as that, why are you anxious about the rest? Now, I want you to consider that verse for just a second and just think about this. Is time control a small thing? Look at what he says. If you are not able to do as small a thing as that, a small a thing as add an hour to my life? Because that seems like a pretty large thing. Jesus talks about it in this way. Jesus says, you can't even do something that is so simple for God. You can't even do that thing. And you're, you're going to worry about all this other stuff? You're, you're going to worry about all that? It's basically saying this. I am sovereign. I am in control. It's acting like you have the reins of time and that you can tell it what to do. It's, it's, it's as if you're saying, I can control the circumstances of my life. I can control what's happening in my life. So what, is this, what does this do? What's it do to us when we sit in anxiousness and worry and fear? You might say, I can control my time, I can control my life, I can control my world. Or you might say, aha, I found a better God that will control time, that will control my fear, my anxieties, whatever it is. I can find a God, I can find a king, I can find a political leader to make me feel less fearful, less anxious, less worried. And so that's where we're at. What happens when worry takes over? We find a new king, either in ourselves or in a relationship. You will be my king. Or it might be in a political leader. And let's not think for a second that I'm talking about one side or the other because I'm talking about both. Because worry and fear and anxiety reigns in our nation today. It reigns. And Jesus says this. And which of you, by being anxious can add a single hour to his span of life. Can you add it, a single hour to your span of life? Can, through the political leader that you follow, through the job that you have, through the, you can't. And Jesus, Jesus is saying to us, if you're not able to do as small a thing as that, why are you anxious about the rest? 
If you're not able to sovereignly be in control of all things, then why would you try to be sovereignly in control of anything? See, following Jesus is about releasing. It's about releasing control over my life. It's about making Jesus your king. I'm getting ahead of myself here, so I'm gonna keep going. Verse 27, consider the lilies, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all of his glory was not arrayed like one of these. The lilies of the field, the flowers of the field, they, they do nothing to garner the, ability, or the, uh, the beauty that they have. They're not toiling or spinning they're not trying to make this happen. And yet they're, they're more beautiful than the richest guy that ever was, Solomon. They have more beauty than all of that. And they just sit there and they just give out glory. Because they're just sitting there. I, I feel like what Jesus wants from us is he wants a non-anxious presence that has opened up its hand and said, okay, I'll just sit here and grow and you do what you're gonna do, God. What is political unrest, rioting, looting, killing? What, what is all of that? It's saying, I must be in control. And let me be careful here. I'm not criticizing either one of these things. I'm saying there's an anxiousness and a fear. There are injustices that have happened in our world on both sides. There are injustices. There are things worthy of speaking out against. However, the disciples of Jesus Christ are people who are to live in a non-anxious presence that have released the reins of time that have released the reins of control and have said, I'll just sit here and grow. How about you do your thing, God? And I'll just wait on you. I don't know how many of you need to hear that, but I think it's important. Verse 28, but if God so clothes the grass, and it's talking about a flowering grass. He had just talked about the lilies, which is alive in the field today and tomorrow is thrown into the oven. For some reason, they would throw the grasses of the field in the, in the oven. There's probably a connection there in their day. Either way, that's what it was used for. How much more will he clothe you, you of little faith? If this is what God does here, then why can't he do that? Remember what I said. Jesus doesn't say, let's sit down and let's do a Bible study. Jesus doesn't say, you know, you need to go to church more. Jesus doesn't say, no, you, you need to do this. You, Jesus doesn't give you a list. Jesus just says, open up your eyes and look around. You can look toward Washington and you can see the world with its hair on fire. And then you can consider the raven and you can consider the lily. You can consider the grasses of the field. You can look at time itself and you can say, I guess he's got this. It doesn't, it doesn't feel like it, but I guess he's got it. Because that's what, that's what he's saying. Jesus repeats what he's, his, his point here and basically says, stop it again. 
you're sleeping, hopefully you're not now. Verse 29, and do not seek what you are to eat and what you are to drink, nor be worried. So Jesus says it again. So consider nature, and let me just reiterate this for a second. Don't look for those things. Don't look for security in what you eat, what you drink. Don't just walk around anxious and worried. Why? He goes to another example here. Jesus says, for the nations of the world seek after these things. And secondly, your father knows that you need them. So the first thing is this. There's a bunch of pagan nations around them. And it, it, it's not just talking about other nations. Jesus is talking to these people who are disciples, and he's basically saying, the people around you who are not my disciples are essentially from another nation. It's like they're from another country. The people who are losing their minds are pagans. The, the people who are losing their minds are pagans because they're revealing the fact that their king is not Jesus. Pagan, meaning they worship and serve any other god but Yahweh, God, the God of the Bible, the Hebrew God, Jesus, the Son of God. They worship another god. They are pagans. So let's talk about that for a second. Paganism is basically seeking after your sustenance, seeking after your basic needs, seeking after security, seeking after all of those things from another source other than God. And, and I, and I want to speak to this, and this is where it could get really offensive for you, and that is that the intertwining of evangelical Christianity with politics in the last few days, and it didn't just happen in the last few days, but it's been happening for some time. Jesus is saying, you won't be losing your mind, you won't be anxious, you won't be worried if you're a part of my thing. So pulling up a, a cross at a protest that turns violent, waving a flag that has, says something about Jesus on it is an egregious misuse, an egregious mis misuse of the God of the Bible. How can I communicate to you? If you feel yourself getting mad right now, I am pleading with you. I am pleading with you that you would see Jesus as your king and not a political leader. That stuff is incredibly damaging to our cause. God's fine. He's sovereign. I don't, need, I don't even need to be anxious that people who they themselves may not be racist or white supremacist or whatever, but to be clear... Those two things, evangelical Christianity and racism, were mixed in that protest. For the pagan nations of the world seek after these things. 
That is not what God has for us. Losing our minds, anxiousness, worry, fear, anxiety does not have any place in Jesus. Because of this, your father knows that you need him. Your father knows what you need. Biden's not your father. Trump's not your father. Your boss isn't your father. Your relationships aren't your father. Your father knows that you need. Look at the heart here that God is going after with you. God is going after your heart and he's saying, listen, the further you go into your sin, the further you continue to go after other gods and live in paganism and even intertwine the God of the Bible with the God of this world, the further you go, the more miserable you're gonna become. Our nation is becoming more miserable. 2020 was supposed to be in the past, and it's not. Here we are in 20, uh, 2021, <clears throat> and it's still just as bad. And guess what? I don't think it's getting better until people who claim to follow Jesus actually follow Jesus. Gosh, man, that's where I'm at right now. That is where I'm at right now. Like I know I preach all the time. I know I, I get paid to do this. But like I, I have to ask myself on a regular basis, like, do I want Jesus? Do I need him? Do I like him? Do I want relationship with him? Can I go to someone and say, give up your anxiousness and fear? Better yet, are people who are losing their minds coming to me and saying, hey, I know you from work. Hey, I know you from our marriage. I know you from whatever it is, acquaintances. And I see in your life a lack of fear, a lack of anxiety. I see this non-anxious presence that is about you. And I just want to know what that is. Is that happening to us? Is that happening to me? And, and when I speak to them, can I legitimately say, Jesus is my everything. My father knows what I need. And so I don't have to care about a, a, a political system so much so that it destroys my life and destroys other people's lives. Man, that's, that's, uh, man I want that. I want that so bad. I'm just coming to this realization that like, I can't change you. I can't change you. I can't make you any different. Like if this sermon's great, you're gonna forget it by the time you get in the car. Most likely, you, and you will be satisfied. You'll remember, hey, I liked Pastor Matt's sermon. I think I wanna go back. That's fantastic. Please start giving at some point, at least, or something like that. The truth is, I can't change you. I can't, I, can't make you, I can't make you less anxious. I can't do anything. All I can do is I can just show you the word of God and just say, here you go. I hope, hope it works. 
Hope it works. And you know what else? The reason why I know I can't change you is I can't change me. I can't change me. If I can't, if I can't change me, then I sure as heck can't change you. So what am, I, what am I pleading for? What am I begging for? God, would you change me? Would you help me stop it? Would you help me become the person that you want me to be? Would you help me grow in you? Would you help me see you as everything and not get so wrapped up in the things of this world, worrying about finances, worrying about whatever it is, worrying about our political climate, worrying about what's gonna happen to the church, worrying about what, all of that stuff. God, would you change me? Like some of us have gotten way too comfortable. Like we've been going to church since we were a fetus and we're in this place where it's just like, I'm just doing the same old thing. I'm just acting the same old way. And God has something better for you. And God has something better for me. God has some, something better for us. But it's not gonna be, I promise you, I can actually promise you this. It will not be because of the political leader that we have here on earth. It'll be, be, be because of the king of kings that we serve. It will not be because we got worried and we got anxious and we got distraught. It will only be because Jesus is king of our lives. Your father knows that you need these things. I feed my kids all the time. No applause? What's, what's, what's wrong? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And yet, I have a child who every time he walks into the room, he says, I'm hungry. I keep saying I'm going to get him a t-shirt that says I'm hungry on it because it's just, we already know. But he's not walking around worried that he's not, where he's going to get his next meal. And I realize there are people today who do walk around that way. They talk, they call it food insecurity, right? But my kids don't have that problem. There's, there's no shortage of snacks in the pantry. They will eat them up. They're like ravenous wolves. They will find a pack of fruit snacks and just devour it. It'll be gone in moments. My kids don't live with food insecurity. And the reason is because I'm a good father. And I feed my kids. I feed my, my kids all the time. What would it be like if my kids were like really anxious and worried about their next meal? You and I would look at that and we'd say, why is Pastor Matt's kid going, man, I really hope I get a meal tonight. Man, I really hope that dad lets me have a morsel. I really, really hope we can eat dinner. You would say, there must be a problem because if Matt's child is saying he's worried about this, that points to the reality that Matt has not been feeding his kids regularly. That's what Jesus is saying. When you live in worry, when you live in fear of basic needs and life in general, as a son, as a daughter of the king, 
you're saying something about your God. You're saying he does not feed me and therefore I need to feed myself. I need to get my own value. He says, instead, seek his kingdom and all these things will be added to you. If you're like me, for much of my life, I was like, oh, is that all? Oh, perfect. I'll seek the kingdom. What does that even mean, Jesus? Look at the next thing he says. Fear not, little flock, for it is your father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. Jesus is pointing to something, and that is, first of all, when you give up the anxiousness and fear about what you're going to get and what you're going to eat, Jesus is saying, I don't want you then to transfer your fear and your anxiety to the idea that you're going, that, like, I hope Jesus gives me the kingdom. I hope he gives me what I, what I need. I hope he grants that to me. Jesus says, fear not. It's his good pleasure to give you the kingdom. He's a good, good father, right? He is a good father, and it is his good pleasure. I love to feed my kids. I love it when I make an amazing steak, and they go, Dad, that's the best meat I've ever had. I, I love it when, uh, when, when, they, when we get to go out to a restaurant, whatever, and they're just so thankful. Dad, you're the best. You're awesome. All other dads stink. They didn't say that, but they, like, like Dad, you're, you're, thank you for taking us out. I, I love that. I, I love that. What this is saying here is that it's the Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. He loves to do it. He loves to do it. But where this fear is also is, is in this in that you and I, in our fear and in our worry, in our anxiousness, in our rioting, however that happens in our lives, because to be sure, all of us riot in some way or another. May not happen out there, but it, or at a Capitol building somewhere, but all of us do to some degree or another. What this is saying, it's saying, the fear is based in this, that I won't have a kingdom. Jesus is pointing to something that is saying this. You're looking for a kingdom, period. You are searching for a kingdom. Your worry and your fear and your anxiety is coming from the fact that your kingdom isn't giving you or is not going to give you what you want, what you really want. That's where the fear is coming from. So everybody is building a kingdom. Everybody is, is, is building that. And Jesus is saying, I'm telling you to take your kingdom or the kingdom of the Republican Party or the kingdom of the Democrat Party or the kingdom of whatever weird party you're a part of or whatever. Like the, I'm telling you to take this kingdom of you and everything that you think you are, I'm telling you to take your kingdom and set it aside. But you must replace it with a new kingdom. No one can live without a kingdom. No one can live without a king. All of us live within the context of a kingdom, either of our own making or of the God of the universe. 
and we have made someone or something king in our lives. And Jesus says, I want you to seek his kingdom. Not your kingdom, not their kingdom, not any other kingdom. I want you to seek his kingdom. And what's going to happen is this, is that then all of these things are going to be added to you. Seek after his kingdom, and then you're going to see the reality of how the king provides. Then you're going to see what he does. So Jesus isn't just saying, hey, stop it. Jesus is saying, here's how you do it. Here's what it looks like. So seeking the kingdom of God, seeking his kingdom, means this. That I am seeking to live under the rule, under the reign of this God. I am seeking to live under his rule. That's what we have on the wall right there. Love Jesus, which means we love his story. We love his people, the church, and we love his rule. We live under the rule and the reign of Jesus as king, which means I listen to what Jesus says and I act on it. And the other thing that I realize is that I'm representing God. I am an emissary. I'm an ambassador from the kingdom of God to the kingdom of this world, to the pagan nations. I am an ambassador. That means that I represent God. And to our world today, maybe I have my facts wrong. Maybe you can email me later, whatever. But most people that I know that don't subscribe to what I believe, believe this, that those people on the Capitol steps were representing God. And they looked at those people and they said, oh, they don't really believe in their God either. They don't believe that he's gonna feed them. They believe that a political leader is gonna feed them. Jesus says, I want you to seek his kingdom and then I don't want you to live in fear that he's gonna hold it from you because he's already given it to you. He's already given it to you. And the word to you and I today is to live in the context of that kingdom. How do you live in the context of, of that kingdom? Verse 33, all you have to do is sell your possessions and give to the needy. That's all. I think it was last week that Brandon said, someone comes up to Jesus and says, I wanna be your disciple, and Jesus says, good. Go sell everything you have and give to the poor, and then you can be my disciple. Now, does Jesus mean you have to sell literally everything that you have? I don't think that's what Jesus is saying. Jesus is saying that discipleship comes at a cost. Following Jesus comes at a cost. Giving up worry, fear, and anxiety comes at a monetary cost. It, it, it comes, it's giving up control. Remember what I said? You gotta open up your hands. It's giving away control. And Jesus is saying, your possessions are in control of you. Or 
Your desire for possessions are in control of you. That is what I believe is going on here in our world. I will possess more with this political leader, therefore I will lose my mind. Sell your possessions and give to the needy. Jesus says the way for you to live under the rule and the reign of Jesus Christ because God's already given you the kingdom. Your father knows what, he, what you need and he's already given it to you and now it's just about you realizing that you're in the kingdom. And the kingdom of God looks like this. It's people who are willing to give up their possessions and to give to people who need. See, I was reading this passage and I was like, man, I know that there's people who are starving in the world somewhere, somehow, so is, is this a promise to them? And I don't believe it is a promise to everybody. I believe it's a promise to his church. I will provide your basic needs. And when you are living in the kingdom that I've already given to you, you will provide the needs for those who are hungry. You will provide that. Give to the needy. Give away. How do you begin to untangle yourself from the paganism that is in our world, the godlessness? You begin to give away. You give your way out of this entanglement. You disentangle yourself. You detach yourself from your possessions. He says, Provide for yourselves with money bags that do not grow old, with a treasure in the heavens that does not fail, where no thief approaches and no moth destroys. Jesus is saying, detach yourselves from your possessions so that you can have true possessions. Detach yourself, give away all of these other kingdoms. Open your hand and say, it is yours, God. You control time. You grow the lilies. They don't toil or spin or do anything. The raven eats every day, or how often ravens eat, whatever it is. And they don't do anything for that. And God, you are good and you are gracious and you are righteous in all that you do. You are just in every way. And so I depend on you. So you give it away. He says, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. You put your treasure where you want your heart. Put your treasure into the kingdom. If that's where you want your heart. So years ago, God put it on my heart to start a church. I didn't know it was a church. I thought it was just going to be a meeting of a bunch of young people. And one of the verses that just wrecked me, or one of the few verses that just wrecked me, was Ephesians 2, 8 through 10, which talks about the gospel. For by grace you've been saved through faith, and this not of your own doing, it is the gift of God Fear not, little flock, for it is your Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom of God. For uh, it, And this is not of your own doing. It is the gift of God. Fear not, little flock. It's your Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. 
It is a gift of God. God is gifting you with his kingdom. But it's not just so that you could have it. It's not just for that. Not a result of works so that no one may boast. He's given you the kingdom. You didn't have to do anything to get it. Now he's saying, live as though you are in the kingdom. Ten, for we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus, just like he created the ravens and he created the lilies and he created the grasses of the field and he determined time. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. The only way that you come to a place where you say, okay, I want to give up everything is if you see that Jesus gave up everything for you in order to hand you a gift. The only way that you're going to see that you are his workmanship created for this purpose. You want to know what your purpose is in life? God created you to do good works, to serve people. When you get the kingdom, you serve others. And men and women, these political movements on so many levels, maybe not every level, I want to be careful, maybe not every level, are selfish to their core. It's about self. It's about worry. It's about fear. It's what am I not going to get? But Jesus sold his possessions and he gave to the needy. Jesus gave up everything that he has in order to have what? In order to have you. You, you can't think in your mind, I'm not that bad. If you think in your mind that somehow God should take me because I'm just a little bit better than the next person, or I do good things and I've served people. If you're justifying yourself right now, I don't know if you've gotten the gospel. There's so many people that we meet today, even in the context of the church, that still don't understand the gospel, that I can do no good thing. And that my sin is so bad that it killed God on the cross. And that my sin each day is worthy of that. Like God went to the cross for that sin. And Jesus, when he went to the cross, he offers you a gift. And the gift is this. He has sold his possessions and his goods, and he's given up everything so that he could have you. And men and women, that is the entrance into the kingdom. If you don't have that, you don't have the kingdom. You don't have the promises. You you, you should worry and be anxious and be fearful because this is all that there is. What these political leaders are doing, what, what's happening in the world, that's all that there is. But when you put faith in Jesus Christ, when you trust him, that, that, that first of all, what he says about you is true, that you are sinful, that I am sinful, and that I need 
forgiveness. I need grace. I need mercy. And Jesus did that for me on the cross. When you do that, Jesus, or God becomes your father. God becomes your father, and you are entering into his kingdom, and Jesus becomes your king. You need to give your life to Jesus Christ. And I, I, I hope that some of you go through this. I hope that you come to a place where you say, I don't know that I was ever a Christian before. I'm not saying I want you to doubt your salvation, but I kind of want you to doubt your salvation a little bit in a healthy way. I want, you to, I want you to say, I don't know that I've ever even understood the gospel before. Martin Lloyd-Jones says, that's when you've actually learned, that's when you've actually grown. You were saved long before you knew all this stuff. But now, now you're starting to grow. And I'm praying that that happens in you, in your heart, and in your life. And I'm praying that God transforms us. And I'm asking you to please stay out of social media fights. Don't erect a cross on the Capitol grounds. Just be quiet. Just, let's just hush. Let's be a non-anxious presence because Jesus is our king.